We're at the start of a new conversation series called Making Sense of Faith. And basically the idea of the conversation is faith is sometimes hard to make sense of. And there are lots of stuff about God, about spirituality, about church that just doesn't make sense. And we have a commitment to be honest about that and to talk about our struggles and our doubts with faith openly. And so this is a great series of conversations for friends of ours who are disconnected or who are doubting and struggling with faith to invite them into, or at least to take these conversations that we'll have in our house churches and be good listeners and good conversationalists in our relationships with our, with our friends and with our coworkers. We'll talk about topics like faith and science and many religions and suffering, salvation, the resurrection, the cross, stuff that just is sometimes hard to make sense of. Today, we're talking about making sense of doubt. And connected with this conversation series is a special retreat experience called City on a Hill, which is, uh, Jesus says that the people of God are like a city on a hill that shine for the whole world to see. And taking taking that theme, this retreat is an experience in learning to live on mission, making mission a part of our lifestyle, not just one segment of our lives, but seeing our lives in terms of God's mission and work in this world. And that retreat is July 10th and 11th. It's about a month from now. It's 15 bucks a person. It's going to be in Arlington. We're partnering with a church called Christ Journey, who we worked with in November uh, for the Marvelous Light experience. You can register online at storylinecommunity.com. And I look for emails, look for word and house church more about it. But this is just kind of an initial orientation and heads up. We'd love for all of you guys to participate in that really special day. You can stay here. My son and I, uh, we get a day to spend together once a week. It's kind of a father-son day. And one of our favorite habits is going to parks. And lately, Ryan has said, uh, Daddy, where are we going? What park are we going to today? And I'll say, I don't know, maybe Cole Park or Revershawn. He'll say, Daddy, I want to go to a new park. Do you say that? Yeah. And so at Ryan's request, we've begun to search for new parks to go to, which have the perfect combination for a father-son, an amazing playground, of course, for the son, and great shade and plenty of trees for the father. It is summertime, after all. So those, those two criteria guide us as we look for parks. And the other day, we found a great park off of a Northwest Highway called Preston Hollow, and it had all kinds of playground equipment that Ryan had never seen before, like these big plastic dinosaurs and alligators that he could climb on. He'd never seen a jungle gym before. He was really excited about it. There was this manual uh, digging machine where, you know, if you pull... Do you remember that, like from your, your childhood, where you, you pull the levers and one of them scoops it and the other one picks it up and you can move dirt around? It's like operating a backhoe. He was totally digging it, and he's going to be a preacher someday. Watch out. Watch that hand, buddy. Um, there was a tire swing, and there were uh, several other pieces of equipment that I really honestly had no idea how to operate. They looked more like instruments of torture than they did playground equipment, if you ask me. Uh, But there was one new piece of equipment that 
was new for Ryan too, I guess, and it was a, a curvy yellow piece of metal. It was about six inches wide, and it was elevated about a foot and a half off the ground by several metal posts. It was a balance beam, uh, not unlike this makeshift balance beam behind us on the stage. Um, and by the way, at this point, I want if maybe Nathan, Michael, will you come up here and stand behind this balance beam and help some of the kiddos or even even children at heart? You don't have to be a, a kid to come and walk the balance beam. But Ryan, Ryan didn't know quite what to do. And Mike, if you'll just stand right there and make sure they don't hit the bass drum on the way down, that'd be great. You want to try the balance beam, Ryan? Just go ahead. Ryan, when he first saw somebody else, can you try to make it across? You want to hold Mr. Micah's hand? When he first tried to make it across, you know, kind of started out with these short shuffles, and then he got some confidence, and he started, you know, walking a little faster. And then the moment came when it happened. And, you know, you get the, the wavy arms. That's right. And Ryan lost his balance, and he found himself wavering and immediately, uh, you know, kind of looking up at me as a father and saying, you know, this, this really isn't as easy as it first seemed to be or really as fun as I thought that it would be as he's there trying to get his balance. You're doing really good, Nathan. Awesome. Thank you guys for helping. All right. Okay, now you guys can go to class. And if you're a kiddo, we have nursery for two years and younger. If you want to take a baby back and sign in, there's a table right through these doors. And kiddos up to four or five years old can go back there too. Uh, so feel free to take your chillings. Now, forgive me for using a metaphor that comes from the playground because I am a young parent and I do think in metaphors appropriate for my life phase, I guess. But I do think Ryan's experience on the balance beam really is a great metaphor for our, our life journeys, our faith journeys. Life is like a balance beam, and all of us are on it. Some of us are at the beginning of it, and we're, we're taking those baby steps toward God in faith. Some of us are building up steam a little bit, and we're starting to, to make some progress. Some of us are turned around and we're headed away from God in skepticism and we don't know what to think and we're not really sure we want to have anything to do with God. And then there are others of us who are like Ryan, right in the middle of this balance beam and we're wavering and we're trying to, we're trying to catch ourselves. We're trying to maintain our balance because we're about to lose it. Well, that sense of wavering on the balance beam of life, that sense of hesitating, trying to catch your balance, that is doubt. Does that make sense? Doubt literally is wavering between two extremes. It's wavering between uh, faith on the one end and skepticism on the other end. It is that point of hesitation where we, we spin our arms and we try to gain some orientation to where we're going. That is doubt. 
And to be honest, all of us find ourselves wavering and trying to catch our balance on that balance beam. And if you disagree, you're either deluded or you haven't gotten far enough down that balance beam to experience it yet. I mean, I have my doubts, but I think it's probably pretty certain that you'll find yourself reeling at some point or another. Life will happen in that way to you. Brian McLaren says, nobody ceases to doubt short of a lobotomy. And I think that's right on. Short of the removal of your brain, you're going to doubt because we are human. Doubt is part of the human condition. We doubt because we're finite. We can never understand it all. It is not possible to have such a thing as rational certitude in this life. It's just not. And I am no exception. In fact, I've often described myself as a congenital doubter. I've never been satisfied with pat answers. To be honest, they kind of nauseate me. Uh, I grilled my Bible teachers as a kid. I grilled my college teachers in college. I grilled my seminary professors in seminary. And I've had seasons in my life where I felt like I was in a black hole of doubt. And I didn't know which way was which. I didn't know which way was forward or up or backwards. I was just, I was lost. I had long periods of time where I was just stuck on this balance beam, trying, trying to catch myself. And, I mean, doing this, I mean, that gets pretty exhausting after a while. It will drain you pretty quickly. And yet, I've grown up having church experiences where I've expressed doubt about God and gotten the look. Have you ever gotten the look? You think you're a Christian? Did I just hear you right? Or you get the consolation pat. It's okay, Charles. It'll, you know, it'll go away sometime. As if I have a disease or something. And I find myself wondering, am I the only one struggling with this? Am I the only one on this balance beam? Is this balance beam a stage of security for everybody else? And it's a balance beam of imbalance for me. Am I the only one that's having these doubts? Am I that dense that everybody else gets it and I don't? Maybe I'm not the only one. In fact, I'm pretty sure that I'm not. There's a great text in Matthew 28 about doubt. We don't usually think about it as a text about doubt because it's hidden within a very famous passage of Scripture called the Great Commission where Jesus sends his followers out into the world with the good news. So let's read this text together. It's on page 683. Matthew 28:16-20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you catch it in that text? The disciples in this text are seeing Jesus for the first time since he died. The last time they saw him, he was hanging on a cross. He was put in a tomb. And they must have thought, 
it's, it's all, for lo- all for naught. What, whatever we were believing in, it's a farce. It's, it's just it's not going to work out. Our leader is dead. We give up. They're seeing him in this text on a mountain for the first time since he's been raised from the dead. And their immediate response is to worship him. And then there's that little phrase right after that. But some doubted. Now, some scholars and students of this text make the case that the they that worshipped, they worshipped was the 11 disciples. It was the disciples who were closest to Jesus. And they say that the some who doubted were some larger crowd that was there on the mountain with Jesus. Because it couldn't have been the 11, they argue, that doubted because they were close to Jesus. They, they saw Jesus all throughout his life, and this would have been the linchpin for them. This would have sealed it and proven to them that Jesus was who he said he was. I think there's another way to read this text. The 11 worshipped Jesus, and maybe there's a crowd. I mean, Jesus told some women to spread the word, and we know women are good at spreading the word when there's news to be spread, right? So lots of people were coming to the party on the mountain. So the 11 and this crowd, if there was, some of them who worshipped also doubted. So rather than, rather than all of the, or some of them worshipped and some of them doubted, perhaps we should read it, all of them worshipped and some of those who worshipped doubted. Does that make sense? You see, there's a common assumption that doubt is the opposite of faith. So that people cannot doubt and worship at the same time. But that is not true. That is not true. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Skepticism, unbelief, what lies at the other end of this balance beam, that's the opposite of faith. Doubt is merely, again, the wavering in between faith and skepticism. It is that point of hesitation when we're trying to decide which direction we're going to go in. It doesn't mean that doubt is where we want to be at all the time because ultimately doubt keeps us from moving in the direction toward God that we want to go. But God does use doubt to form greater faith in us. I love this quote from Neil Cole. He's talking in terms here of courage and fear, but I'm going to substitute what I think are parallels for Jesus in this quote, which are faith and doubt. So listen to this and think, uh, think about it in terms of faith and doubt. We may think, that faith and doubt are opposites that can never be found together. But this is wrong. These two qualities can be together. In fact, while it's possible to have doubt without faith, it is always found, faith that is, is always found with doubt. Faith without doubt is ignorance or foolishness or both. The very essence of faith is to acknowledge the risk and move forward boldly, not succumbing to doubt. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is the mastering of it. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It is the mastering of it. If the disciples doubted, human beings just like us, after seeing the risen Lord in His glory, why would it surprise us if we doubted too, not having seen such amazing things? So rather than asking ourselves when we doubt, what's wrong with me? Or why am I doubting? Or how can I stop doubting? We should ask, am I headed in the right direction? Which direction am I headed in? Am I heading toward God 
and faith or am I heading toward skepticism in myself? Are my doubts making me a believer or are my doubts making me a skeptic? Do I want to believe or do I not want to believe? Maybe, maybe you're thinking, Charles, you're full of crap. <laughs> you know, I, Charles, I can think of several texts in the gospel, gospels where Jesus is really, he's really hard on people who doubt. And he chastises his followers who lack faith. And there's one really nasty one in Matthew 17, just several chapters before this. A man brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus to be healed. And when Jesus figures out that he brought him earlier to his disciples and they couldn't heal him, he goes off. He says stuff like, you perverse and, and unbelieving generation. What, what, what good are you to me? You, you have so little faith. How can you read a text like that and get the impression that Jesus is okay with our doubt. And my response to that is, touche. <laughs> uh, Jesus does get frustrated with our struggles for faith. Yes, we won't deny that. But that's not the whole picture. The other part of the picture is found in Matthew 28. Look at this text one more time. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. But some doubted, in verse 17, then... Jesus came to them and said, great, great commission. Did you catch it? It's absolutely clear that Jesus entrusts the most important work in the world to people who have just finished doubting him. Jesus entrusts the mission of God to people who were full of worship and doubt at the same time. Whether it was the 11 closest disciples whether it was a larger crowd, you know, it really doesn't matter. Jesus commissions all of them to take this good life of God to the world. He sends them to walk alongside others as they try to get their footing on the balance beam, even as they're wavering themselves to find orientation. Bottom line, God does not expect us to have it all figured out before we join Him in mission, because if that was the case, none of us would qualify to be a part of it. If Jesus sent his followers who saw Jesus in his resurrected brilliance and still doubted, how much more will he send those of us who doubt? I respect few people as much as I respect Lynn Anderson. He is a powerful leader in the church. He came from real humble beginnings. He's a real short man. He's in his mid-70s. And he has literally given his life to God's work and God's mission. Has spent 50 plus years working with churches, working with, working for the gospel, working for the good life and the good news. I mean, he's a, he's a hero of faith akin to Hebrews 11. He's an amazing preacher. He's mentored hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Christian leaders 
all over the world. He, he's deep spiritually. He has deep integrity. Lynn coined the phrase congenital doubter that I used to describe myself earlier because that's how he describes himself. For all of his fruitfulness, for all of his faithfulness, Lynn would be the first to admit to you that none of that happened uh, free of deep valleys of doubt in his life. And yet God was using him in very powerful ways for the sake of mission. Uh, who's a fan of Austin, Texas in here? Lots of people live there. I mean, amazing city for culture and arts and music. Austin is weird. And, and people who live in Austin cherish the fact that it's weird. It's different. It's got its own vibe, its own flavor. But Austin is a really hard context for church planning. It's really hard to plant a church in Austin because it's very much the epitome of post-Christian, skeptical American culture. The majority of the population in Austin, especially the 20s and 30-somethings who are associated with the university that I, I just can't remember the name of right now, uh, they've written off Christianity because it's hypocritical. It's judgmental. It is, it's bigoted. It's ignorant. And they don't want to have anything to do with it. There was a guy uh, named John Burke who moved with his family and several people to start a church there several years ago, to start a church for those kind of people who were skeptical and searching and were not going to be satisfied with church as it was. And they decided that rather than give people pat answers and, and stand on street corners and make presentations and try to convince people why their doubts were wrong, they were going to make the risky decision to open it up for dialogue so that people could come and voice their concerns and talk about their problems with the faith and be honest and deal with their doubt. They, they let people ask hard questions. They talked openly about sensitive issues. They embraced diversity. And basically, in so many words, they told people, we're going to be here with you to walk on the balance beam. And we're, we're going to waver alongside of you as you ask questions about God and faith. And it got people's attention. This Austin weird crowd, it got their attention. And today, thousands of weird Austin people flock to Gateway because, not because of John Burke's charisma, but because they know that if they go there, there will be someone to listen to their doubts. There will be someone who will let them have a voice at the table of conversation about faith, even if it doesn't fit in the box. And, you know, I'm not a big fan of judging a church by the numbers, you know, and saying, oh, this church is big, so it must be doing the right thing. Uh, a lot of times, numbers don't necessarily say a whole lot. But I think in the case of this church, the kind of people that it's connecting with, it does say something, because they are opening a culture of dialogue for people who are in doubt. And quite honestly, I want Storyline to be like that church. I want Storyline to be the kind of church where people can come openly with their doubts and they can say whatever's on their mind and they'll be accepted and they'll have a voice at the table and I rejoice for the many ways that we embrace diversity in our conversations that's a big reason why we don't have a sermon every Sunday it's a big reason why we're a network of house churches that values conversation in our homes together 
because we value everyone having a voice. We want you to be able to voice your doubts and your faith no matter where you're coming from. As Ryan is on this balance beam and he gets to that point where he starts to waver, uh, he looks up because he knows that his father is really close to him asking if he needs anything or if he's okay. And uh, as, as of course, I, I love to hear the words that come out of his mouth at this point, Daddy, would you help me? You know, and he reaches for me, and I give him my hand, and I help Ryan walk the rest of the balance beam. Jesus offers the same kind of support in this text that we've been considering for us as we seek to navigate this balance beam of faith. He says at the end of this text, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I'll help you walk the balance beam even when you waver. I'll, hold, I'll pull you out of the water when you start to drown, just like I did with Peter. I will hold your hand and keep you from falling. I will be with you always. It doesn't matter what doubts you bring to the table or what your hesitations or hiccups are. I, I'll be there. I will be with you always. Will we walk toward God in faith? or away from God in skepticism? Will we trust God to help us find balance when we enter times of doubt and wavering? Or will we try to do it ourselves? Will we accept Jesus' invitation to come alongside of others in their doubts and waver with them as they search for faith? Or will we retreat and find it much more comfortable to go it alone and refuse to help or even to be helped. These are the choices that confront us as we deal with our doubts. These are the choices that confront us when we find ourselves wavering on this balance beam of life. I will say, uh, if you're in a hard spot right now and you need somebody to talk to um, and you need somebody to listen to you who won't judge you, I certainly make myself available. And the thing I love about this community is that I know there are several people in this room who would make themselves available to talk to you and just to listen and not to try to fix you, thank God, but just to listen to you and let you voice what's on your mind and what's on your heart. I am going to transition and let Ryan frame up a time of response for us so we can process some of this stuff about doubt. Um, Let me pray before he does that. God, we give you our hearts and... Uh, We're thankful for a text like Matthew 28. As many times uh, as I've read it and just skimmed past the part where it talked about how the disciples doubted. And yet you still gave them the greatest privilege and task and mission the world has ever seen. You honored them by letting them come alongside of what you're doing in this world. And God, we just pray that you would consider us worthy for that same mission And God, that you would come and be present with us on the balance beam. Some of us us are losing our balance right now. Some of us are thinking about turning around and taking the route of the skeptic. And we just, we need you to be with us always. We need you to hold our hands and help us find faith. And we just pray that you would help us to feel safe, help us 
to feel secure in, in sharing our doubts, sharing our fears, sharing our hang-ups. And uh, God, I, just, I pray that for, for anyone who's seeking you right now and trying to find you in the midst of that cloud of darkness, that you would be found by them. Uh, more than that, that you would go and find them. Uh, that you would reveal yourself to them in deep and significant ways that you would remind them how much you love them and care for them. And truly, God, all of us are at some point on this balance beam. We just pray that you would lead us forward in faith and that you would help us to learn about ourselves and you in times of doubt. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.